You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker. As you may have heard in a previous episode, the Story Collider is planning a big celebration of science storytelling for this coming Thursday, June 3rd. At 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we'll begin streaming from our venue in New York City, Caveat, where our performers and host Gastor Almonte will be live on stage for the first time in over a year. Even though our audience will be online, we're so excited for this first step back to normalcy to be back on a real live stage again. We're calling this very special event the Proton Prom, and all proceeds from it will go towards Story Collider shows, this podcast, and our workshops, which train hundreds of scientists in storytelling skills to improve their science communication every year. Since this is the Proton Prom, after all, we'll have a virtual photo booth where you can share selfies and even take selfies with other attendees and performers, even if you aren't in the same place, so you can show off your best science formal wear. And most importantly, we will, of course, have brand new, true personal stories about science from some New York-based science storytellers whom you know and love from past episodes of this podcast. We would absolutely love to see you there virtually. Find out more and purchase tickets at storycollider.org slash protonprom. In the meantime, as sort of an appetizer, I'm going to share two stories from years past from two of our Proton Prom performers. Our first story today is from Steve Zimmer. It was recorded at Littlefield in Brooklyn in August 2014, back when Story Collider was four years old. My first year as an underachieving Cub Scout concludes with a make-your-own-pizza party, and afterward, the den mother drops us off. And as I approach my house, I hear a bird call that I don't recognize from my cassette of recorded bird calls. (laughs) And uh, I go in the backyard, and it's uh, a baby robin is hopping around and being stalked by our neighbor Clyde's cat. Um, I know the nest it probably fell from, and I know the mother's not going to take it back. Uh, So I I scoop him up, and uh, I name him Lucky, because he's lucky I adopted him. And uh, Lucky is initially frightened of me due to my enormous size. And, uh, but I feed him worms and earn his trust, and he starts following me around. And um, this gets me a certain measure of celebrity in the neighborhood. But I want Lucky to be a, a fully actualized adult, so I teach him to fly. Uh, but I put him on this rock, and I hold a worm out, 
and he jumps and flaps, and he goes a little further each time. Now, one day, my little brother, in an ambitious attempt to usurp me as Lucky's mother, um, (laughs) feeds Lucky a teaspoon of Rocky Road ice cream, and he chokes and dies. Lucky, unfortunately, not my little brother. And um, so I bury him in in the backyard beneath this uh, hollow white plastic statue of St. Francis of Assisi, the patron saint of animals. And I I even uh, compose a a series of prayers aimed at his reanimation. And uh, they they don't work, but I take comfort that, you know, God knows I, I did my best. Unfortunately, Lucky's not an isolated uh, case. Um, I'm always rescuing sick or orphaned animals, and and then they die because I'm incompetent. (laughs) And so I'm always having these elaborate funerals in the backyard that get witnessed by the neighbors out of context. (laughs) Then then one day, post-Lucky, I'm walking home from school, and I see this uh, in a vacant lot, this uh, puddle that's drying up, and it's full of tadpoles. Uh, toad tadpoles. Those are the tiny, you know, black ones. You usually see them in you know, big bunches. As opposed to the frog tadpoles, which are uh, much larger and green, and they take longer to mature. Um, anyway, so there's about a hundred of them in this puddle. Uh, they're probably going to die if I don't save them. They're probably going to die if I save them. But <laughs> hope springs eternal, and I scoop up 83 of them in a jar and take them home. Uh, the dinner time uh, reception to my uh, rescue operation is is, is discouraging. Uh, my dad's like, oh, I'm going to have to get more statues. And, and my older sister, who's into this up-and-coming band called the Talking Heads, starts calling me Psycho Killer. <laughs> so the first day, two die, and the next day, one dies, and then the next day, two or three die, depending how you count the one with two heads. And... Um, this whole time, I'm praying for them like crazy. I pray for the souls of you know, the departed tadpoles and for the lives of the living tadpoles. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm doing something. And, you know, if, and so this isn't, you know, it's not, um, I haven't done anything wrong with them dying. You know, that's you know, part of God's plan. Um, but after 23 deaths, I um, start to question this assignment of responsibility and my faith is further shaken by Ms. McLean, who is um, who teaches uh, religion at my uh, Catholic school. Uh, one and who my parents suspect of being a hippie. My uh, um, one day she says we're going to play telephone, and she whispers a message to the first kid in class, who turns around and whispers it to the next kid, and you know, the next kid, and goes around all thirty kids back and forth in class. Now. You know, by the 30th kid, not surprisingly, the, you know, the original message is totally gone. But as we go back and check with different kids, the surprising thing is that even after three or four kids in, the message is severely distorted. And Ms. McLean just stands there and says, that's how the Bible was passed down. And I'm like... Um... So I, I'm like, I can't, you know, believe that, you know, she told us that. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, but, you know, I'm like, you know, that seals it, you know. I'm, you know, it's up to me to save these tadpoles. So, um, 
the the next morning, I um, the next Saturday morning, going you know, there's a, in a, a nearby strip mall. There's a, a little pet store, and uh, they don't have any um, cold-blooded vertebrates except for those little turtles that die. Um, but you know, I asked the elderly cashier, you know, about you know, tadpoles, and she's like, "Oh, you mean polywogs?" And you know, even though I'm an incompetent kid, I likely I can sense incompetence in adults, and so you know. I go home and I call Shasta's exotic pets, um, and I identify myself as an amphibian dealer, and uh, <laughs> and they hang up on me. So I'm not a very good bike rider or map reader, but I make a desperate, unauthorized four and a half mile bike ride to Shasta's pets. And once there, I loiter around reading pet books until the manager comes up and says, "Can I help you?" And so I identify myself as a reptile dealer and say that I'm thinking about, you know, raising some amphibians. And he says to get out of the store and stop calling the, on the phone. And, um, you know, so I start crying because I'm very upset and because there's people around who will notice. And so, and so he says, all right, just, you know, what's the, you know, and he asks me what the problem is, and I tell him about the tadpoles. And he says, uh-huh, uh-huh, often do you change the water? And I say, every day. And, and, and he's like, that's the problem, you're killing them with, uh, you're poisoning them with chlorine. Um, you need to, you know, pour the water into a big bowl, let it sit for a day, and let it sit for a day so that the chlorine can evaporate. And as he says this, I, you know, kind of connect this to, you know, the science film strips we've seen, and I can imagine, you know, these, you know, bright yellow atoms of chlorine rising above the bright blue atoms of water. Um, of course, I would later learn they're actually brightly colored molecules. But, um, you know, the, the important thing is that I stop seeing science as um, uh, something you read about and, and start seeing it as a way to understand the world. So I go home, you know, meet, you know fill up a you know, big bowl, water, let it sit. The next day, one dies, then two die, then one dies, uh, then another dies. But I do notice some of them are starting to get back legs. And then we have a four-day stretch where none of them die. And... Uh, about a week after that, I noticed one of them was getting, you know, tiny buds of front legs. And even my sister, older sister notices the improvement, and she stops calling me psycho killer, and she starts asking me what's new. The, a quick science note, um, the odds of going from tadpole to juvenile toad are less than 1%. Out of the 83 tadpoles I took from that puddle, I return 47 little toads to the marshy area surrounding Beck Lake. Um, oh, thank you. Um, the, um, and as I hold the four transport jars, um, I'm conscious of how tiny the toads are. I mean, they're smaller than an eraser head and how big and dangerous Beck Lake is. And... I don't think St. Francis of Assisi is there, and I don't think God is looking out for them. But that's okay. They've got me. Thank you. That was Steve Zimmer. Steve has a Ph.D. in economics and applied math, is ABD in biochemistry, spent six years working in an immunology lab, and has severe ADD. 
Steve quit storytelling in 2016 after winning a then-record 26 Moth Story Slams and a still-record 7 Grand Slams. The Proton Prom will be his first time back on stage after a five-year hiatus. Steve has also just finished the manuscript of a black comedy mystery called Murder at the Moth. I'm particularly excited for Steve's return to the stage because he's a storyteller who I have long admired. And once again, if you'd like to join us for this very special show on June 3rd and be a part of our virtual audience, head to storyclider.org slash protonprom. I want to thank our Proton Prom sponsors for supporting this event. First, at the gold level, we have the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative was founded in 2015 to help solve some of society's toughest challenges, from eradicating disease and improving education to addressing the needs of our local communities. Their mission is to build a more inclusive, just, and healthy future for everyone. And then at the silver level, we have Springer Nature. Springer Nature is a global publisher that serves and supports the research community. Springer Nature aims to advance discovery by publishing robust and insightful science, supporting the development of new areas of research, and making ideas and knowledge accessible around the world. We are hugely grateful to both of these organizations for making this event possible and for supporting storytelling about science around the world. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next story today is from another one of our Proton Prom storytellers, physicist Saad Sarwana. It was recorded in 2018 at Caveat in New York City. Growing up, I wasn't the class clown, but I always wanted to be. If there was an opportunity to make a smart Alec comment and get the biggest laugh possible, I took it as my personal responsibility to do so. What prevented me from really grabbing the class clown title was my love of math and physics. So in a way, my studies kept on getting in the way of my clowning around. <laughs> I was growing up in the mid-90s when the most popular book among the nerdy people who I used to hang around with was Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. Everyone, everyone claimed to 
read it and understand it, and I was one of those people. So when it came time to graduate high school and move to college, I left Pakistan and I moved to Canada to McGill University in Montreal, where I joined the undergraduate physics department. And it was during freshman orientation that my new friends took me out to see the college improv troupe. And my eyes were exposed to the world of amateur comedy. I was hooked. I loved this. There was a comedy club close by which had open mic nights. I used to go there just to watch. It took me a whole year to have the guts to actually attend one of the improv workshops. But once I did, I never missed a single one. By the time I, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in physics, I was me, a fresh off the plane immigrant, was now part of the college improv troupe. I'd even tried stand-up a couple of times, but it was time to move on, and I didn't want it to end. So I did what every other undergraduate does in this situation. I went to grad school. <laughs> because even in all this time, my parents had always taught me that you must have a career, so, and I still loved science and physics, so I joined the physics department at Stony Brook on Long Island, which is right next to Brookhaven National Labs. And I continued my research in superconducting electronics and physics. And I kept on doing stand-up on the side. I tried to find an improv troupe in Stony Brook I couldn't find on. So what I did was I tried to start one. I failed miserably. But I found a local comedy club, and I started going there. And one of the graduates from that local comedy club's improv group was Kevin James, who had just left Long Island. He's from Stony Brook as well and moved to LA, so I was performing with all these comedians who used to hang around with Kevin James. And they started giving me tips on what to do in stand-up, so I started doing more stand-up, and my act at that time could best be described as a Pakistani Yaakov Shmirnov. <laughs> what I did was political correctness had started coming into comedy, and I took all the hacky 7-Eleven racist jokes, and I could get away with doing them, so I started doing them. It was horrible. I'm embarrassed to say that I even did any of those jokes, but I didn't know any better, and I gradually started getting better at doing comedy. And then 9-11 happened, and in those times, I was one of only maybe three Muslim comedians doing stand-up in New York. And I realized that I had to say something important, and I had something important to say. So I started talking about my life and what my life was. It was basically a life of a single Pakistani Muslim male who had come to America on a student visa to study physics. Basically, I talked about racial profiling. <laughs> and I started getting a lot of laughs. I got uh, profiled by 2020 on a story about Muslim comedians. I passed a lot of comedy clubs. I started even getting gigs at colleges. And I got approached by a casting agent who said, hey, I can put you on TV and you can get paid. And I'm like, paid, I'm on a student visa. If I start doing comedy for money, I'll be taking jobs away from American comedians. <laughs> I could get deported for doing that. But I said, you know what, I think maybe I'll get away with things under the table, so. And I couldn't really say no, because this is what all my comedian friends hoped and wished for, you know, to get their own sitcoms. And, I, and for me, I was like, this is gonna disrupt my lab experiments. I had no problems doing stand-up at night because 
I could work in the lab during the day and the shows were usually nights and weekends where I was free. But these auditions were during the day. But against my better judgment, I started to go out for these auditions and let's see what I auditioned for. I auditioned for a 7-Eleven employee, a cab driver, a gas station attendant. You might be noticing a little bit of a pattern here. The one audition I really remember was I was doing a research project in, in quantum computing superconducting implementation with IBM Research in Yorktown Heights one day. And the next day, I was in the city auditioning for a commercial for IBM. <laughs> it was for a software engineer, so it wasn't like I was breaking any boundaries there either. But I used to go into these auditions, and normally when I was a physicist or as a comedian, I used to be unique when I go into these rooms. When I used to go into these audition rooms, there was a room full of people who looked exactly like me. And even I was like, all these people look the same. <laughs> so finally, I told my agent that please don't send me out for anything unless it's different and unique. And uh, she finally contacts me and she says that she has this opportunity for a new feature film that they're making and they want me to play the part of an Indian stoner. So I'm like, okay, submit my thing. So she sends me the script finally. So I get the script and the first scene is described to me and this is the scene I have to act out in the audition is it starts off with, how should I put this delicately? A moonshot of my character and he's turned away from the camera and he's shaving his genital area and hair is falling down. And I'm like, I am not doing this. <laughs> Besides, I'm a Muslim and Muslims are supposed to already shave that area, so they might have to use some CGI or something to create that, so it's probably not gonna work. I never went for that audition. And for those of you who haven't recognized that movie, that movie was Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Carl <laughs> uh, Penn, who got that role, went on to do great things, including work at the White House. <laughs> and somehow his whole career wasn't, you know, sabotaged by that butt shot. So I went back to my research. I concentrated more on my research. I published more papers kept on doing comedy on the side, pretty much stopped auditioning because I wasn't really an actor and I told my agent that unless you get a role for like an awkward Pakistani physicist, I'm not really interested. So she contacts me a few months later and she says there's a new sitcom which is being shot out in LA and if I would like to fly out to LA to try to audition for this spot and it's a sitcom about physicists. And I'm like, no one's gonna watch a sitcom about physicists. <laughs> Americans will not watch this. What's my character? So she reads me what she has and she's like, well, it's this awkward Indian guy. He can't really talk to women. So in this pilot, most of the time, you'll just be sitting there and smiling. I'm like, you want me to fly to LA on my own expense to audition for a one dimensional character who can't even say anything and all I do is smile? You know what, I'll pass. That show, as most of you would have recognized, was The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Kunal Iyer, who got the part of Raj Kutrapali, now makes a million dollars an episode. But I moved on, I, I continued doing my physics, I got married, I had children, instead of doing 
comedy at night, I change diapers at night, pretty much the same thing. <laughs> and I concentrated on my research and finally, I get uh, a call after a long time from the Discovery Channel. And I'd at this point given up on comedy and they said, hey, we are looking for funny physicists who who can, tell, who can take YouTube videos or internet videos and make funny, smart aleck comments about them and explain the science behind them. I'm like, this I can do. I've been doing this since high school. So I sent in my audition tape and I got it. The show is called Outrageous Acts of Science. We've been going around about six years in the Science Channel. It's one of their highest rated shows. It's watched by over four million people globally. And what I've learned from all this, because my friends, you know, all my comedian friends try to, you know, follow their dreams and become comedians, and none of them made it. Some of them even got uh, cast in pilots, which never got made it, and they just struggled and failed. And they experienced a lot of pain, just like I did, before I got this show. And what I've learned from all this experience is that if you're a professional and you have a passion for doing something, don't follow your dreams. <laughs> just keep on what you're doing on nights and weekends and if you're lucky your dream will come find you thank you that was Saad Sarwana Saad is a physicist and stand-up comedian. As a physicist, he works in superconductor electronics and is the author of over 40 peer-reviewed publications and the inventor behind two U.S. patents. As a comedian, he's been doing stand-up and improv comedy for over 20 years, and even won a Moth Story Slam. For six years and over 100 episodes, Saad was on the Science Channel TV show Outrageous Acts of Science. He's also the creator and host of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Spelling Bee. Previously, he's told other physics and math-inspired stories for the Story Collider. And we will link to those on our website. The Story Collider is so grateful to Steve and Saad for sharing their stories with us and for the new stories they'll share with us on Thursday. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Aaron Barker, with assistance from Story Collider's Deputy Director Nista Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our Interim Executive Director Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, our Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and our brand new Marketing Manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. Our theme music is by Ghost. We'll be back next week with Story Collider co-founder Ben Lilly, whom longtime listeners may remember as the original host of this podcast. And he'll be sharing his favorite stories as well as one of his own. So don't miss it. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.